feel a little reluctant to speak. I felt the silence was so sweet in this last sitting. And it was inspiring for me to, to peek out <laughs> at you. Um, and it reminds me of this uh, Japanese Buddhist teacher who was famous for um, holding intensive retreats. Um, and, you know, usually in, in, in different schools of Buddhism, especially in monasteries, um, even during retreat times, there's chanting, there's discussions with the teacher, there's Dharma talks, you know, so this kind of activity. And, and of course, a lot of sitting as well a lot of meditation, um, but this teacher was famous for holding what he called a retreat without toys. And you can kind of guess what the toys were. The toys were the chanting and the meeting with the teacher and the Dharma talks and the, you know, and so this was just silent, totally silent group practice. And I think the one thing they did besides sitting and walking meditation, and of course eating in silence, was that they, they did silent bowing. So instead of having a morning service, an evening service with chanting, they would silently bow. I think maybe it was, um, it might've been 108 bows, I'm not sure, but, um, and I never got the opportunity to, this was, this is Kosho Uchiyama Roshi, who is, is famous for the book called Opening the Hand of Thought, which is a wonderful book, is translated by one of his disciples. And I never um, got the chance to meet, meet Uchiyama Roshi, but I've always been very inspired by that. There's something about, uh, it was like a return to the purity of the practice. And um, Uchiyama Roshi was also famously shy. So <laughs> it might've had something to do with his interest in this form of not having to speak <laughs> or give talks. Um, But I think that when, when we are um, when we're in an environment of silence, and I think there's a different kind of listening that can happen. Something can emerge, something can show itself, something that's in our hearts, our minds. So to me, there's a kind of purity in that. And it, it's similar to what I was saying last night about this, this very basic beginner's instruction of don't move, you know? And what, is, what does it mean um, to be willing to stay here with what this mind and body are doing right now? Um, to not turn away, um, but, but to be here, to stay here. So, so, the, so the request in, in as much as we can is to cultivate a kind of stillness of body, the openness of mind, and to see what happens, you know? Um, and I think about Right now, um, as the first, you know, the first full day of retreat, in a lot of ways, is a kind of transition time, where we're coming out of our usual way of being in that momentum, but we're not maybe not fully landed into something else. So it's a it's a really important, valuable time of the retreat, because it's a chance to see, to, 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 
directly experience the impact of that momentum. You know, and what, what is the mind doing? What are the images in the mind? Um, what's, what's showing itself to us? And it, it feels to me, it's like a time for being gentle um, with ourselves. So I appreciated Matthew's instructions very much this morning. And um, yeah, to just like, to have this uh, wide, wide view, wide pasture, and to be interested, where is the mind going? Where, you know, to let it kind of roam. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the idea of when the mind is more activated and there's more activity and thinking, um, it can almost be helpful to like take an inventory. See, what's, what, what is going on here? What, what am I concerned about right now? What's coming back over and over again? Uh, what emotions need to be felt? You know? so, so in a way, um, I think about the first day, the first full day of the retreat as um, the practice of saying yes. You know, just saying yes. I'm, I'm into these two word instructions. So don't move and then say yes. And say yes to calm and say yes to agitation. And say yes to joy and say yes to sadness and say yes to this is interesting, this is juicy, this is exciting, and say yes to, um, actually, this is pretty boring. <laughs> the path of Dharma involves a lot of boredom, <laughs> in my experience. Um, and what I love about this idea of saying yes is, to me, it feels so generous, you know. It's so welcoming. It's, it's this including all of our humanity. Um, there was this uh, wonderful poet, William Stafford, who I often share poems by him. And he had the practice of waking up every morning before dawn and laying on his sofa in his living room with his yellow legal pad and ballpoint pen and writing a poem. You know, that was, that was kind of his practice. And, and he was asked, you know, what if, uh, what if you're not any good that morning? What if, you know, nothing's coming out, there's nothing nothing inspires you. And he said, Oh, that's easy. I just lower my standards. No. <laughs> and there's, I think there's something really profound in that. For us as practitioners, as meditators, what are these so called standards that we think we were supposed to measure up to? well, that wasn't a very good sitting because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or that was a great sitting. Um, so we have expectations, we have standards. And what Dharma practice maybe is um, closer than that. It's more intimate than that. It's more immediate than, than that. And so um, we get to lower our standards. And when we're sitting quietly and sitting still, that's enough. You know? And we see what happens. And we see what the poetry of the moment brings up to us. Um, and, and then we get to be, we get to be surprised. We, you know, rather than 
oh, I know what's supposed to happen. And then, well, it happened, good. Or it didn't happen, usually. <laughs> you know, but we get to be surprised. Yeah. So, uh, so this idea of saying yes, and uh, I have a poem to share about that. This is um, I feel like this poem is a comment on uh, our practice as a whole, but also maybe we could say a comment on first day of retreat practice. This is written by Joy Harjo, who is a, um, a poet of the Muscogee Creek Nation. And she is currently serving as the Poet Laureate of the United States, the first Native American Poet Laureate. And um, this is called Praise the Rain. Something we in in California need right now. Praise the rain, the seagull dive, the curl of plant, the raven talk. Praise the hurt, the house slack, the stand of trees, the dignity. Praise the dark, the moon cradle, the sky fall, the bear sleep, praise the mist, the warrior name, the earth eclipse, the fired leap, praise the backwards, upward sky, the baby cry, the spirit food, praise canoe, the fish rush, the hole for frog, the upside down, praise the day, the cloud cup, the mind flat, forget it all. Praise crazy, praise sad, praise the path on which we're led. Praise the roads on earth and water, praise the eat eater and the eaten, praise beginnings, praise the end, praise the song, and praise the singer. Praise the rain, it brings more rain. Praise the rain, it brings more rain. I was... Uh... I was reading, sharing this poem, reading this poem um, every morning this week to my girls. And then this morning I asked them, okay, and they know it now pretty well. And I asked them, what's your favorite part? And immediately they said, praise crazy. So what is it to praise, to say yes to all of it? You know, and I feel like that's this, the, the wondrousness of this poem and of this practice is um, we, we have this invitation to say yes to our life and it's not so much like it's yes because this, or it's yes because of that, or it's yes because that's better than this. It's just each moment. Yes, yes, yes. You know, in retreat, we have this practice over and over of the next thing, the next moment, the next thing. Um, the poem is from a, a collection uh, by Joy, Joy Harjo called 
Conflict resolution for holy beings. Conflict resolution for holy beings. And again, I was thinking about it, and that's exactly our practice. You know, Dharma practice is the practice of conflict resolution. Um, and maybe it maybe it can help in the conflicts out in the world. But the what the way I'm thinking about it is our our own inner conflicts, all the ways that we're divided in ourselves. And so I think that um, so maybe we could say that. The most basic conflict when we meditate is um, our body's here and our mind is somewhere else, <laughs> anywhere else. <laughs> you know, so we get to notice that conflict over and over again. And what is it to, you know, um, collapse that division every time we come back to this moment, you know, we're whole again, we're not divided. So, um, so that's one, one kind of basic conflict. But I think about retreat practice as one of the gifts of retreat practice is um, that it brings up the kind of inner conflicts to the surface. Um, I think it's pretty easy when we're going about our, our usual life that we have our, you know, we have our favorite distractions. We have our favorite um, ways of getting a little hit of dopamine and maybe it's a, a nice cup of coffee and sitting in the sun or check our news feeds and, you know, okay, well, that's another 30 minutes you know, um, but, but here with this request to, to stay here, to not to move, and this request, this request to say yes, we, we get to um, yeah, we, we, we get to experience what's there in, in a different way. Um, I think about one of the most, um, it's, I, don't, I don't know if this is the right word, but kind of the most pervasive conflicts, um, I think for us as human beings is what's happening right now and what I want to, I want, what I want to be happening, you know? how things are versus how I want them to be. And this is like the fundamental thing that we're always, we're always negotiating this. And so in this laboratory of mindfulness, of meditation, we get to see what is it to just experience that experience. So maybe we could say, we have this intention to say yes. And then we get to experience all the ways that deep in our being we hear, no, <laughs> no, I don't, you know, no, <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to feel this. Um, and the principle of one of the, one of the things I really appreciate about the principle of insight practice. So maybe we could say, in the language of insight meditation, saying yes is the practice of non-clinging. Probably heard, heard this phrase, non-clinging. So how do we accomplish non-clinging? How, how do we approach non-clinging? Well, the, the brilliance, I think, and this, the, the, the Buddha's, you know, this approach is we approach non-clinging through nothing other then studying our clinging, becoming aware of our clinging, looking at all the ways. So 
we approach, we, we learn how to say yes by becoming really familiar, really intimate with all the ways we say no, right? All the ways we say, um, I don't want to feel this. I don't, I don't want to stay here for this. Um, I feel like right now I should give a, a nice example from my own life, but there's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we all know the experience of uh, this resistance to meditation practice and this resistance to Dharma. Part of us, we want, I mean, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be on a retreat if we didn't somewhere in our being deeply want to wake up, deeply want to practice and deeply know that there's something, there's a treasure in this moment that's waiting for us. But it's like, we also, <laughs> you know, have ambivalence and we love our habits, especially our bad habits. Um, my, my Zen teacher once told me that the first thing a student learns from the teacher is their bad habits, <laughs> copies their bad habits. You know, in the Zen style, you sort of live with the teacher. So you're really close and you kind of, you, and I just have this very vivid memory of Mel, um, you know, my Zen teacher. Um, he was giving a class at Tassajara, the monastery. And I knew he liked his coffee. He liked to have a cup of coffee when he started his class. So I'd always go make a cup of coffee for him. And, and I learned that he liked a certain amount of cream in his coffee. And so I kind of was, you know, I was very happy to, to kind of be of service and I brought him a cup of coffee and I put it down and then I would watch him how he would take little sips of it. <laughs> and then at some point I found myself sipping my coffee the way he was. <laughs> anyway, um, we, so I think we, we deeply want to practice and we, um, we have, we have our, we have our, our, our own characteristic ways of avoiding this moment and avoiding practice. Um, in, in, the, in the classical early Buddhist teachings, um, those characteristic patterns of avoidance are called the hindrances. You've probably heard of this, you know. And they're just, all the hindrances are, are just ways that we tend to say no. Not right now. Yes, it's a good idea to, yes, to be in the moment. But right now, I'm a little bit bored, a little bit sweaty and irritated, and my knee hurts. And I would much rather think about anything else, some memory, some fantasy. I'll think about politics and I'll get angry and that can use up about 12 minutes and then I'll, you know. So these hindrances are um, said to be the, the qualities, the factors that keep us from being present that keep us from being here. So according to, the, according to the early Buddhist tradition, it's not like some big mystery. Why can't beings just easily sit down, unify the body and mind and heart and wake up the way the Buddha did? It, it's very clear, it's because of these hindrances. So the invitation is to, um, to get to know these, to study them. You know, I think maybe in our typical way, we would have some um, aversion. You know, aversion is like, we don't like it, right? You know, so, or 
you know, I want to, if I can only just get rid of all the hin my hindrances, then I could enjoy this retreat. And, but that's not the way, that's actually not the way it works. It's more like studying the hindrances are, are the practice, that is the practice. You know, that's studying all the ways we say no. So, so the five hindrances are um, sensual desire and it's kind of a pair with aversion or ill will. So this is sort of like, I want it or I don't want it, you know? And they're actually two sides of the same coin. It's like, in, in one sense, you know, I think about myself as a, as a greed type and I'm always looking, you know, some, you know, I'll find myself, you know, especially if it's some new place or some really interesting, um, what is it called? Uh, like a flea market, basically. And, you know, this, when you go to a new city or something, there's all these interesting flea markets with tap, antiques and all kinds of, you know, and I just, I just, this, this awakening of desire. And I just, I don't even know what I want, but I know I want something. <laughs> so I'm kind of <laughs> holding the cash in my, in my pocket and walking around looking and see what's good, what's, what do I want, you know? And so the classical, so the flip side of that is um, this aversive type that um, it's sort of like our first, our first instinct is, I don't want it. It's not, you know, get it away from me. No, you know, we look around and we see what's wrong. Um, and, you know, we, we all have all of these, but, um, how is it that desire for sense, sensual gratification can take us away from the moment? Um, when I think about it for myself, and I, if, I, if I give some careful attention, it's like when something's going on in my present moment experience, that's actually not that pleasant, that's not that interesting, The habit, the conditioning is to try, look to replace what's unpleasant with what's pleasant. So I replace this feeling of loneliness or I replace the unpleasantness of a foot that's fallen asleep with some pleasant story, some pleasant memory, some pleasant fantasy, right? So that's, that's just one example of... Um, on retreat, the hindrance of desire can operate. So this desire and aversion, I want it and I don't want it. I mean, aversion, anger is one of the most, you know, there's a payoff in being angry, right? There's something that's, that, that it wakes us up. We like that, we feel alive. You know, I, we had a air, purifier, which is kind of an important thing these days, delivered. It was pretty expensive. And then we opened it and it was like full of dirt and kind of looked used. And so, oh, immediately, great, I get to be angry. <laughs> I get to scream at someone and not feel guilty about it. And um, I didn't scream at anyone, but I did send off a few emails and um, it was just noticing the way it just activated me. It activated the sense of self and the sense of, you know, we've been wronged. So this desire and aversion. And then the next hindrances have to do with our energy. So um, when, when the energy is a little too, too, too much, it can lead to restlessness and anxiety. So that's the third hindrance. And then the flip side of that is, um, you know, this kind of dullness. This was called sloth and torpor. So 
you know, restlessness can take many forms, but it's, I think we, we can all relate to the feeling of being anxious about something and being restless and how hard it is to actually sit with that. Um, and in the same way, it's like, if there's something that I don't, I'm not, I don't really want to face, then I find that sometimes it's like, it's like there's no energy. The energy is totally cut off. It's like, oh, I've, I'm like, I'm studying Japanese and like, oh, I've got 50 flashcards. You know, I'm kind of looking, you know, it's like, oh, but I'm so tired. You know, maybe I just need to be good to myself tonight and, 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 and turn on Netflix. And, you know, and then I have lots of energy to, you know, watch something. Or, um, so just noticing is how is the energy? Which direction is it out of balance? And then the fifth um, hindrance is doubt. You know, it could be doubting the practice. You know, this really doesn't make any sense. Doubting the teachings, doubting the teachers. Um, it often takes the form of doubting oneself, you know. I know for myself, I pretty early on, I had a lot of faith, a lot of confidence, a lot of trust in the, in the teachings of the Dharma. I had a lot of uh, confidence in my teachers, but I didn't have that much confidence in myself to think that it's like, well, I can't do this, you know? And, and then at various times in my practice, it has been amazing to notice the creeping, the, you know, doubt is like, is a silent, comes in the night, doubt kind of tiptoes up on us. And, you know, this little whisper in the mind of, of you can't do this. Or, um, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> I remember I was on a long retreat and getting into a little bit of new territory for me in the, in the meditation, getting pretty quiet, pretty concentrated. And, um, you know, some fear was coming up and other things. And I remember having this heart to heart with one of my teachers. Some of you might know Carol Wilson. It's wonderful. Meditation teacher from IMS on the East coast. And I said, Carol, I just, I don't think this is the right practice for me. I don't, you know, this is, this, this just, I, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Like something weird is, and she had this big smile on her face. And if you know Carol, she has this radiant kind of smile. And I kind of opened my eyes and I looked at her and I said, what? And she just pointed at me and she said, doubt, that's doubt. And I was like, oh, that's, that's how you recognize doubt. That's how you, you know, to name it, to be mindful of a hindrance and just to name it, it's like it, poop, it pops the balloon. It pops the balloon. This was a story that I was living according to and believing. And, but just to, just to see it as doubt, you know, it didn't mean that there wasn't fear. It didn't mean that there wasn't um, ambivalence, but so what? It's just doubt, you know? It's just desire. It's just fear. It's just anxiety. And the thing about these hindrances is that they're not personal, you know? We want to take things, so we take things so personally. And especially we take things that we perceive to be negative. You know, if like if someone says to if if I tell you, you know, that joy that you're experiencing, that peace, that calm, that's not you. That's not yours. That's the joy of of the universe. That's the joy of the Dharma. Okay. But but guilt comes up. Fear. That's me. That's really me. You know, so we we take, we take these so personally. 
And so I think the great liberative blessing of the hindrances, the teaching of the hindrances is to see that these are impersonal. These are forces in the mind that um, don't belong to us, that everyone has them. They come and they go. And then, you know, okay, it's doubt, it's desire, it's fear. Um, and when we bring, when we meet, when we can meet these with mindfulness, then they're not a problem. They're just, they're just the flavor of the moment. You know, like I was saying last night, um, I think one of the biggest challenges in practice is to um, you know, is to get beyond the idea that it's better to be calm than to be anxious, right? You know, of course we prefer being calm and happy to being sad and miserable. <laughs> but from the Dharma perspective, you know, joy is empty and fear is empty. Um, to be peaceful, that's empty and that's impermanent. And to be anxious and uh, lonely, and uh, that's also empty. That's also impermanent. So, um, I think we need to we need to hold both. We need to see both. We need to see how deeply we prefer one to the other, right? But we also need to see the emptiness of of. Of, of every state, of every condition. And, and it turns out that sitting with what's difficult, sitting with what's challenging, is how we grow. It's how we expand our heart and expand our mind. You know, if there were two meditators on retreat and one person was just like, oh yeah, I just sit down and I'm with every breath and, you know, it's, it's fine, it's fine. And then another person is like, feels like they're on this bucking bronco, right? With waves of emotion and exhilaration and boredom and lots of monkey mind. But they kind of stay there and they stay with it. And gradually they see, oh, it's all changing. It's all, it's all empty in a way. Um, I can't control it. I can't figure it out. I can't manipulate it. So I just need to let go. You know, just let go into it. You know, which, which yogi is gonna learn more? Who's gonna grow more in insight and compassion? So I think, yeah, to be grateful for, for our difficulties, to be grateful for um, the places we get stuck and to, and to study that. Um, I think, so this idea of meditation as a kind of conflict resolution is beautiful, um, but it's also maybe a little bit idealistic. I think that um, there are some conflicts in life that don't get resolved, right? Or maybe the way, we could say the way of resolving the conflict is to get big enough to hold both of it, but to, to, to hold both, you know, to hold all of it. Um, and I think as we, you know, as we, the, I think the longer we live, you know, this is my experience, the more, um, acutely, we can start to feel those conflicts where we feel the conflict. I mean, for, for me, I remember one of, the, one of the big conflicts was this deep, um, kind of deep aspiration, inspiration to do a lot of retreat practice. You know, there was something that was calling me of that, not exactly, you know, sometimes it was monastic, but to really um, go on this journey 
this contemplative journey. And there was also this deep drive, this deep inspiration to um, have a family and have children and be in the world in some very tangible, um, earthy way. And, and at various times I felt like, well, this just, I don't know if this conflict gets resolved, you know, and there's different ways of kind of working it in one way and another, but you know, what is it to hold all of it? Um, so this idea of, um, can we let ourselves feel more directly um, open to the places where we have conflict in our own life, in our own being, and not to paper over that, um, but to really feel it, to really experience it. Um, so that's, that's also the gift of practice. It's like, um, yeah, to be, to be willing to uh, feel more and more uh, I think about the uh, this expression that uh, in in Dharma practice, which is a little bit like you know resolving conflict. If it's not paradoxical, it's not true. You know, this idea that the deepest truths you know, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, you know, a kind of paradox, it's a paradox. And how do we, um, how do we open to the truth that the world is a mess, <laughs> right? The world in a very real way is very broken and, um, and all is well, right? You know, and there is a perfection at the heart of things, at the core, if you know, the, the, the essence of every condition, of every mind state, of every problem um, is freedom. And so that, that's, that's a conflict, right? How do we hold that? How do we hold, hold these? And I think that um, we usually, for most of us, we can pretty much easily see the side of things that we evaluate and compare and we know is, have, have problems and it's harder to, to, to open to, to see the, the completion, the perfection. But um, I think the invitation of practice is that both of these are, are a property of, of life as it is. It's not like something needs to change and then it's perfect. You know, it's like, there's just one thing, there's just one world, there's just one truth. And we can see it from the side of form and we can see it from the side of emptiness, right? Um, so Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen teachers famously said, um, each of you is perfect just the way you are. And you could use a little improvement, right? You know, so how do we hold our own inherent wholeness, our own, our, that, that we're not broken, we don't need fixing. You know, Dharma practice is not an endless self-improvement project. Um, that, um, 
So how do we hold that side of things? And there's growth and there's learning and there's um, cultivating all of the wonderful capacities of being human. Um, one, of, one of my teachers paraphrased Suzuki Roshi in saying, each of you is perfect just the way you are and you could use a little Prozac. <laughs> a little update for the <laughs> 21st century. But it's a great example because we can think, well, if I'm on this medication, that's a kind of failure, right? Or if whatever. No, these are, these are not in conflict, actually. How do we hold, hold both of these, both sides? Um, my... Um, I was looking over some teachings of Mel because he is 91 and he's finally getting around to putting together a book of his talks. And so there's like lots of manila folders with lots of papers around. And I was looking and there are these little gems. And one of the, one of the things I just, my eye landed on was um, he, he said something like, when what you have to do and what you want to do are the same, when what you have to do and what you want to do are the same, um, this is the secret of happiness. When what you have to do and what you want to do are the same. I think about as, you know, when I was younger, one of the things I most disliked was routine. You know, the idea of doing the same thing every day was like, was the worst thing I could have, you know, I wanted a life of adventure, of variety, um, to do the same thing every day is so boring, right? You know, and it's, it's funny to me to, to kind of have, have that mentality and to have come across this practice, which is, you know, one aspect of this practice is sort, you know, certainly retreat practice, right? You do the same thing every day. You know, you know the same schedule. Um, these kind of rituals um, that anchor our practice. And I remember meeting Mel and I thought that this is a person, so every morning for the last 55 years, Mel has sat meditation at 5.40 in the morning and he bicycle, he doesn't bicycle anymore, but he, until a few years ago, he was bicycling to the Berkeley Zendo, open the Zendo and meditate with people. And it was so interesting to me that why would, why would he, do the same thing every day like this, you know? And it, and it, what I realized is that there was a way of that in cultivating these ordinary rituals, it was like his life became like a mantra. You know what a mantra is? You know, like, om or something. You repeat over and over and over again. And it's like this spiral. And each time you repeat it, you're going deeper and deeper and deeper, and there's a rhythm to it, you know, and it just draws you in. And so I met this person and it's like, his life is like a mantra. He does the same thing every day. And then, you know, in Zen, they have the way they bow and they do this and that, and it's the same exact thing. And, but it's very interesting when you do the same thing every day, um, you let go into it and you discover that there's like an endless depth in the simplest thing, you know, and um, 
and from being a kind of person who doesn't has you know basically no 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 internal discipline <laughs> and, you know wants for you know love craves variety and distraction there was something so captivating about that it was like wow that's actually what freedom looks like freedom is doesn't mean freedom to just ah do whatever you want but freedom is like that you can do the same thing every day that 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 you're not pulled around by what's up on the surface but you have this like it's like you're kind of like the elephant walking boom 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 and so um you know i don't live in a monastery right now i don't particularly have that but i think all of us have the rituals of our life right you know we think what are, what are your rituals what are what are, what are the the little sort of ordinary things that we do um now that i have young children it's a lot about you know driving them somewhere waiting for them <laughs> <laughs> driving them home nagging them to get ready and you know we're going to be late come on and i remember i was driving around somewhere and i was i was on a call talking to an old friend and he said max you know is this what your life is you just drive people around different places and wait for them and and i kind of thought about it and you know and he's like you know kind of living a more glam much more glamorous life in london going to charity galas and doing lots of things and i said yeah no this is my life you know i just spend a lot of time driving and waiting nagging and um but i love it you know it's so it's so perfect and it's like you know i thought about this when you know it's what i have to do right i'm a parent i'm whatever i have the responsibilities but when what you have to do and what you want to do are the same you know that that that's it right it's like um If I could pay someone to do all those things, I wouldn't want to do that. You know, I want to be the one who makes the juice in the morning and does this and does that. And that's it that's the expression of my practice. Um and and so maybe that's a secret of happiness. You know. Um so what are, what are what is it for us to in this retreat for to not have this gap not have this separation between what's happening you know and then you know are we going to say no are we going to separate are we going to turn away or um can we you know, um And I think for me this is this idea of life comes a refuge. You know what a wonderful thing if we can say honestly my life is my refuge. You know, I think sometimes like I have a friend who's who's quite ill with cancer and probably in the last you know final months of of his life and i think for myself if i had that kind of diagnosis and it's like okay it's weeks to months at this point you know what would what would i do would i buy a round the world plane ticket and you know just i don't know or um i think no i i drive the kids to school I'd make the juice. I did, you know, all the things, brush my teeth, all the things, the rituals of our of my life. That's what you know, 
that's my refuge. Um, if we can infuse all of that with our love, our, our care, um, then that's Dharma, you know? And, and so I think about my friend and how he has lived over these last um, months. And he basically hasn't changed a single thing. You know, he walks the dog, he meets friends for tea and lunch, works on his projects, you know. And so that's to, for our life to be our refuge, to just be a beautiful thing. Um, and so, So maybe this idea of saying yes in every moment is a little bit idealistic. But when we have the intention of saying yes, we know how good it feels to be able to say yes. Then we also get to see, where do I say no? Where is it too painful right now to say yes? Where is it too hard? And to have kindness and patience for that no as well. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> as every parent knows how to say no. Um, but I think about this idea of praise, you know, enjoy harjo. Um, when, I guess it was last night, it might've been when Matthew was, was talking or during the sitting I felt this up, upwelling of emotion, like almost like I could have cried if I, you know, went that direction. This upwelling of emotion. And I was thinking about my friend who's sick and other things. And, um, and this line came to me, praise the rain, it brings more rain. And I thought, oh, the rain is also our tears, right? You know, praise the rain, praise the tears. And um, it's like for me, this idea of praise, no matter what life gives us, no matter what life shows us, just to, it's like it's bowing, you know, it's bowing to life as it is, you know. So again and again, we bow. We bow to this moment. We bow to each other. We bow to ourselves in our perfection and in our limitation that we're, we're both. We're both human, the side, our human side and our Buddha side. And we bring these, you know, we bring these opposites together. That's what a bow is. It's like this resolving of conflict. So Joy Harjo says, or the, the book is called um, Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings. And I think that we become holy beings when we bow, when we praise, you know, without Without discrimination, we just bow. Again and again, we just bow. So I want to end by just reading this again. This is uh, Joy Harjo, Praise the Rain. Praise the rain, the seagull dive, the curl of plant, the raven talk. Praise the hurt, the house slack, the stand of trees, the dignity. Praise the dark, the moon cradle, the sky fall, the bear sleep. Praise the mist, the warrior name, the earth eclipse, the fired leap. Praise the backwards, upward sky, the baby cry, the spirit food. Praise canoe, the fish 
rush, the hole for frog, the upside down. Praise the day, the cloud cup, the mind flat, forget it all. Praise crazy, praise sad, praise the path on which we're led. Praise the roads on earth and water. Praise the eater and the eaten. Praise beginnings, praise the end. Praise the song and praise the singer. Praise the rain, it brings more rain. Praise the rain, it brings more rain. Thank you very much.